Good morning, Steve Dale's Pet World on WGN. Uh, I This is going to be a very special conversation because we're talking about something that is happening more and more and more often, yet it's not all bad news. I'm talking about cancer in our pets, dogs specifically. And here is the CEO of Volition Veterinary, Dr. Tom Butera, and also the founder of Moose's March and the president of Pets Are Family. It is Trish Montgomery, who I have known, I think, for 112 years. Good morning, both of you. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Steve. I, I don't feel 112 years old, but I... I... <laughs> I hope not. (laughs) I hope not. All right. So I I think we start here, uh, Dr. Butera. You know, cancer is a word that no one ever wants to hear. And yet I think everyone, if not with our pets, with human family members have had experience with cancer. Sometimes those experiences often actually have not been positive. We've seen suffering in animals and in people. But I will tell you, my perception is cancer appears to be happening more often in dogs. Is that just my crazy perception or is that really happening? You know, Steve, I don't think it's necessarily happening more in dogs. I think the awareness about how frequently it happens in dogs is what's actually occurring. That's where the awareness is coming about. And I can give you some information as to why that's true. I'd like to hear that. Yeah, of course. With, with there are, in the United States alone, there are 84 million dogs. On average, 6 million dogs are afflicted with cancer every year. That's almost 6 to 8% of the animal population. One out of every four dogs comes down with cancer. And over the age of 9, 10 years of, 10 years of age, 50% of dogs die of cancer. So when you hear those types of dramatic numbers, it becomes quite uh, an eye-opener to the common public and to the pet parent about, wow, cancer is something that's on the rise. It's quite frankly not really on the rise. It's just that now we are getting a lot more accurate data about how prevalent cancer and the number of cancers in dogs are occurring on an annual basis. But I would argue that our dogs are living longer than ever before. Cancer is often, though absolutely not always, a a disease of older, if not geriatric, animals. As one point, and as another, it seems to be, from everything I've read in the popular press, happening in some types of cancer anyway, more frequently in human beings. Dogs live in the same environment we do, therefore they're susceptible to that. And then in some cases in dogs, there's a genetic predisposition. So it's a lot for you to comment on, but can you comment on all of that? Yeah, I'll try to do that, Steve, in the order that you talked about it. Uh, First of all, uh, cancer in dogs older than seven years of age, and also in large breed dogs older than five years of age, that comment that I made earlier on data, one out of every four, 50% of those dogs die of cancer, that's where you see the predominant loss, is those animals that are five years and above, 
and then seven years and above. But there are 30 predisposed breeds out there which have genetic predisposition for cancer. And unfortunately, some of these some of these dogs I'm going to mention are ones that we see all the time. Golden Retrievers, Labrador Retrievers, German Shepherds, Boxers. These dogs and 20 and uh, 26 other breeds are predisposed to cancer. And unfortunately, many of my colleagues, including myself, have had the unfortunate circumstance of seeing cancer develop in these younger predisposed breeds as early as two to three years of age. We hear about the older ones, just like it's true in human. On the human side of the, of the equation, we hear about cancer more frequently with a more elderly population, but that doesn't exclude that it occurs quite frequently in the younger population, even with infants. Hmm. So it is. there are two diseases in particular, lymphoma and hemangiosarcoma. Yes. Are two very highly prevalent diseases in dogs, and those two diseases make up close to 35% of what we as veterinarians treat on an annual basis. Wow. So, of those 6 million dogs that I mentioned to you earlier, 2 million of them are probably lymphoma and hemangiosarcoma. And consequently, the, the final addendum to that is probably close to 65 to 70% of the cases that we treat are related to those two diseases. And I want to talk about those two diseases in a moment. Uh, But before we do, Trish Montgomery is here, who feels really more than a bit passionate about this entire issue. We're talking about cancer in dogs. Why is that so, Trish? So my dog Moose passed away of cancer on May 14th of 2022, and um, it, 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 I wanted to do something in, in his honor and in his legacy. Um, he was a, uh, he was my glue dog. My, I would say he was my heart walking outside my body. And uh, what threw the pandemic with me, and at the time I was uh, serving as CEO for Polish Humane Society, and what was me to work and just was everything to me. And uh, came home one day uh, from uh, 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 and put my arms around him, and I I felt on his his neck. He had four nodes, and there were two on his uh, tummy, and there was one uh, on his leg. And I I knew I, I I as you know I've been in the veterinary profession for quite some time, and I knew what it was, and I called every, you know, Auburn University, I called every doctor, and there was nothing that could be done, and he was gone within three weeks, mm-hmm. um, and he was um, he just, and, I, and, and he, we talked about humans, my father had passed away of cancer two years before that, and so I think in in, in his memory and, and, and this legacy that if I would have had more time from a quality of life standpoint, if I would have known if there was, if I could have done something uh, to have him live longer, um, that would that would be, I, I would do I would do anything in the world to that. And I think as this has happened, I've realized um, so much more about cancer, and it impacts so many so many people, and and we don't talk about it enough. And so um, we formed a 501c3 organization, a non-for-profit, formed this as March, 
And we are helping support uh, pets and people uh, in, in the early detection, working with shelters in the early detection. And, um, and just really, we, 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 we want to make an impact. We, I, we, we want to help in, in this desire. What is Musa's March? We'll talk a bit more about that, but you mentioned it a couple times, so I've got, I've got to know. Well, Mrs. March is really Mrs. March for pet cancer. We are fighting to uh, let people know about the early detection of pet cancer. And so uh, it is Mrs. March to clear cancer, and his website is MrsMarch.com. And um, we're, we're on a march to educate people about cancer, and this is a huge kickoff part of it. And making sure that people are educated in their knowledge about pet cancer, as well as early detection and understanding and education. And the facts that Dr. Butera just gave, you know, there were some of those that I didn't even know. Um, and I think our, our goal is to really to educate. Um, and, and from an early detection standpoint, we want to talk more about that. Yeah. Uh, why this month? Why are we talking about this right now? Well, November is Pet Cancer Awareness Month, and we're focusing on that. And we've got a we've got an event happening uh, on November second, and Steve's are going to be part of that. But we're going to be having a really open and beautiful and conversation about pet cancer. Let's talk about pet cancer. And Dr. Butera will be there. Steve, you're going to be moderating, but we're going to be having experts uh, and talking about this and, and inviting everyone. Uh, from pet parents to veterinary technicians to veterinarians to join in this conversation. And let's start talking about pet cancer and and what we can do. And also um, to really talk about every aspect of this from the standpoint of of the detection, what you can do, support groups, and then also grief. How do you deal with that grief, too? So... Lots, lots, lots to uncover here. Yeah, and how much is this event for people to jump online to join? Well, Steve, I'm glad you asked. This event is free of charge. What? It is absolutely free. What? I know. What? It's free. <laughs> All right. So when we come back on WGN, I want to talk about what hemangiosarcoma is, what lymphoma is, what the treatments are. And we are going to talk about early detection, and we have some news. That's right, some news, and it's good news regarding early detection. That is all when we come back right here on WGN. On WGN Radio, it is Dr. Tom Butera, CEO of Volition Veterinary, as well as Trish Montgomery, the founder of Moose's March and the president of Pets Our Family. Trish Montgomery was at one point involved with the Chicago Veterinary Medical Association, as I believe the executive director has been around the world of pets for probably about as long as I have been, except she's 20 years younger than me. I don't quite understand how that happens. But but Yes, it's it's always good to talk to you, Trish, and thank you for everything you have done and continue to do. And right now what you're doing is supporting information and education about cancer in pets. Uh, you mentioned hemangiosarcoma. You mentioned lymphoma, Dr. Butera. Let's describe what these diseases are. I think people are broadly familiar with the term lymphoma because that does occur in people, I'd argue, all too often. Explain what that is in our dogs, how to identify it, 
and also what the prognosis might be. Uh, lymphoma really is a, a blanket term that doctors use to describe a group of cancers that occur due, a cha- due to a change or an overgrowth of lymphocytes. Lymphocytes are a type of white blood cell that helps fight the immune system, and it's highly concentrated in all your organs and it plays an important role in that immune system. What happens with lymphoma, because it is a blood-borne disease, it can metastasize, which means spread, to all the organs in the body. And no, no organ, quite frankly, can be spared of it because anything that has blood perfusion to it can be affected <clears throat> and carry this disease. <clears throat> it is frequently noted by uh, pet parents when they see or detect some enlarged lymph nodes underneath the dog's jaw or on the or the front of the forearm or in the back legs or sometimes subcutaneously just underneath the skin. And that's where frequently it's it's detected. Uh, other clinical signs though, which can frequently occur before even the lymphoma or the lymph nodes themselves externally are enlarged, is the dog could be losing some weight. The dog could be a little bit older, meaning older five, older than five or seven years of age, which is uh, when you start getting more of these cancers developing. <clears throat> Could also be um, have a loss of appetite or not just feeling well. So frequently, because there are four to five stages involved with lymphoma, that early stage may be a time when that dog is looking perfectly fine, but by the time these lymph nodes become enlarged and the, and the pet owner can actually feel them, sometimes those stages are quite advanced. In which case, under those circumstances, your ability to treat will be uh, less successful. Although um, with lymphoma, as I've mentioned previously, it is a treatable disease, but it is currently not a curable disease. But that's the case in humans for some types of cancer sometimes. Isn't that the new thing? You learn to sort of live with it, you know, but... but You're living, and the quality of life is what's really important uh, for us, but also for our dogs, uh, can be exactly what it was before the cancer was diagnosed. Am I right? It can be, depending on what stage it is and depending on how infiltrative those lymphocytes in this particular case, since we're talking about lymphoma, are. I mean, it's possible that a dog could have lymphoma, and it could be in a dog for potentially three, four, five, six, seven, eight months prior to showing actual clinical evidence of, of disease or clinical symptoms. Most of the time, that's not the case. It's usually a much shorter period of time. But yes, Steve, it could be there and in an early stage, which is why early detection is important uh, and is not showing any clinical symptoms. And that's that's when you really want to try to go after it and find it. And there's good news regarding early cancer screening detection, which we'll talk about momentarily. Hemangiosarcoma, that's a big word. What is that? It doesn't sound good. You know, hemangiosarcoma is a, is a terrible disease. <clears throat> it's a rapidly growing, highly invasive cancer that occurs almost exclusively in dogs, although it could occur in other, in other animals as well. But it, it, it unfortunately can invade uh, many parts of the body. It can invade parts of the heart, parts of the liver. Most frequently where we see it is we see it in dogs in their spleen. And unfortunately, when it's in their spleen, because the spleen is really the kind of the garbage dump for your red blood cells, when it happens in the spleen and it becomes enlarged, you can frequently get a rupture. And if you get a rupture of that blood into the 
abdomen, then the dog actually becomes what we call hypovolemic or goes into shock and can die quite abruptly and quite acutely. So hemangiosarcoma is, is a devastating disease that can have uh, significantly deterioration effects very quickly. And it's something that you, again, want to be aware of early on before it gets to the state that I just described to you. Well, and if it gets to that state, I mean, there's just nothing. Uh, lymphoma, there can be a treatment and a, a potentially a very effective one. Uh, hemangiosarcoma, uh, unless you discover it early, which is unlikely, maybe you're looking for something else and happen to do an ultrasound, but the dog generally, to my knowledge, has very few, if any, typically no symptoms or signs, so there's no way the pet parent can know, and then it often just happens, and arguably might be happening more often for genetic reasons, particularly in some of our very popular, most popular dog breeds, which I know the Morris Animal Foundation is looking at. That's correct, Steve, especially in particular with Goldens and Labradors. Uh, we, we put, unfortunately, too many, too many pets uh, to sleep on an annual basis because of this devastating disease. And, and frequently, unfortunately, you say to yourself, I wish I had known as a veterinarian or I wish I'd had the ability to detect this earlier when the dog was jumping around and seemed to be in a, in a perfect state when this may have been brewing. Because, as you mentioned, when it's brought to us in the position that it is, when it's uh, a ruptured spleen and it's, it's bleeding out, uh, your ability to treat at that point in time is, is pretty remote and uh, pretty unsuccessful. Yeah. Um, and by the way, we did not have a Golden or a Labrador. It can occur in any breed or any mix. Ours was very much a oh, mix, yeah. a Heinz 157, yeah. and uh, it happened yeah. very quickly, which is in a sense good because the dog didn't suffer, but uh, so sad, you know, and and tragic for us as a family. Uh, because we could do nothing about it except watch mm-hmm. our dog mm-hmm. die, essentially. Uh, yeah. But there's good news when it comes to cancer, and that's early detection, early screening detection. We'll talk about that good news. Yes, good news and cancer together when we come back with Dr. Tom Butera, Trish Montgomery, here on WGN. Breaking into a nursing home is typically frowned upon. That's unless your name is Scout. Scout was at an animal shelter in Belair, Michigan, but Scout kept escaping the animal shelter. Where did he go? He'd climb over a fence, a tall fence. Somehow he made it over this fence time and time again, would run across the street, which was not a good idea. And he ended up at the nursing home located across the street where he was taken in, would sleep on the couch and enjoyed, loved the older folks who loved Scout. Why did Scout keep doing this? Well, being at at an animal shelter is never a perfect situation, but there must have been something and there must be something about older folks that Scout really craved. And in fact, the staff at this nursing home ultimately adopted Scout. I like happy endings, don't you? Back on WGN Radio, Steve Dale's Pet World, with Trish Montgomery, the president of Pets Are Family, founder of Moose's March. She's always marching after moose. And also the CEO of Alition Veterinary, 
Dr. Tom Butera. We're talking about cancer and pets. But first, Trish, what is Pets yeah. Our Family? You're the president. What What are you the president of? I'm still trying to figure that out. (laughs) (laughs) Pets of Family, we are all about bringing you you and your pet closer together. We believe, as as most people do, that pets are part of the family. And we like to provide information and content on things that are important from a pet parenting perspective, whether it is articles and, and content on behavior, nutrition, um, information on uh, on behavior. Uh, we offer educational courses uh, to be how to be a better pet parent. Uh, we also have a podcast called Pets Our Family, and of course, our charity is uh, Moose's March, and we are all about making a difference in the lives of pets and their people, particularly when it comes to cancer. That is your Absolutely. special, yeah, yeah. That's your special interest, yeah. Doctor Butera. Uh, so I want to talk about first Volition Veterinary. What is that? Volition Veterinary is a company that we have two segments. We have a part of a company called Volition, and Volition is broken up into two uh, divisions. We have a human division that does uh, is in the clinical studies of diagnostics for humans, and then I lead the veterinary division, which obviously is interested in diagnostic and screening tests for companion animals. You know, it has always been the hope, in human medicine, I believe, too, uh, that if you discover cancer earlier, the results are going to be better. The prognosis will be better. Uh, If that is generally true, I believe you have some amazingly good news. We do, Steve. We we have a uh, early cancer screening detection test called NUQ, that capital N, small u, dot Q, which stands for nucleosome and quantitative analysis because we study nucleosomes, which are DNA fragments, and our cell when they are cellular death, those DNA fragments called nucleosomes are go into the bloodstream, and we're able to detect them with our test. So our test is a a liquid biopsy test, meaning you could just pull a small amount of blood from the animal when they come in for their annual wellness exam, and then that test can be run uh, at sent sent off to the reference lab and run, and you get a result back uh, within within a day. And we also eventually we're going to have a point of care test available probably in the coming months, which is a a small machine instrument that's going to be actually in the veterinarian's hospital where they'll be able to, again, pull that small sample and, and put it into this instrument and have a result in about 10 minutes. Wow. So, uh, yeah, pretty pretty impressive and pretty accessible. So, ex- so explain again yeah. a little bit here. So is that result going to be from artificial intelligence? Is that how do you determine, without getting too crazy technical, that, that result, sure. what that is? Yeah, that the plasma that's taken from the animal. It's it's a we take it we take the sample on what we call EDTA whole blood. We spin it down. We pull off the plasma, and then the plasma is sent off to the reference lab. <clears throat> and we have several different reference labs that uh, run our test: IDEX, uh, HESCA, and Texas A and M GI lab in the United States. And they will go ahead and take that sample, and they'll put it through what we call an ELISA test. An ELISA test is one, is a is a test that's been run for many, many years and is run for a lot of different diagnostic assays. So our test is very accessible 
They can run it on this ELISA test, which has our antibodies on it, and they can turn that test around in a few hours, and then by the next day, they have a result. And the result is in three categories right now, because remember, this is a screening test, and this is a screening test for healthy animals. And to the point that you brought up earlier about, you know, that population of healthy people, if you can diagnose something or detect something early, your chances of having a better outcome are significantly improved because you're dealing with a population of non-clinically sick animals. And when you have non-clinically sick animals, you would like to think that their organs are in better shape. So that consequently, if you do treat them, you will hopefully have a better outcome. So consequently, that result comes back in one of three pieces. It comes back either in the high category, comes back in the normal category, it comes back in the gray zone, which is in between. And sometimes that means it may be early on that we're picking it up, in which case we repeat it again. Or you also have to make sure that the blood was, uh, was taken correctly. And you get that result back the next day. If, in fact, it comes back to the point-of-care test, which is going to be out in the not-too-distant future, you'll have the results right there in front of you. With uh, I think it's actually going to be about six minutes. So which came first, this test in human medicine or in animal health? Yeah, this test, the first, we have been, Volition, as a company, has been around for 12 years. We have been doing clinical research for 12 years. We have about 126 patents, and we've done a tremendous amount of clinical research. All of it originally was done on the human side. So the the technology that I talked about, which is nucleosomes, that's all been a number of papers and patents that we've written on the human side. In 2018, we brought it over to the animal side and had it uh, worked on to see if we could validate that same test on companion animals. And Dr. Heather Wilson-Robles who is the head of clinical veterinary oncology at Texas A&M University Veterinary School, did that validation for us and uh, wrote a number of peer-reviewed papers for it. And then I was brought on around 2021 to actually bring the test to commercialization. So I think that, and we've been doing that. Our test actually was commercially launched initially at Texas A&M University. And then this past year in 2022, uh, IDEX, which is one of the largest um, reference labs in the world, uh, is also carrying our test currently as well. Will this test uh, determine any type of cancer, or are you just looking at certain types? Yeah, let me give you some indications on that. Uh, we have a high detection rate for lymphoma, close to 76%, and we have a high detection rate for hemangiosarcoma, close to around 80 82%. And with both of those, we have uh, a very high... Um, Specificity. Now, for the audience, specificity means false positives. Our false positive rate is less than 2%, which is really good, which is what you want to have in a screening test. So lymphoma and hemangiosarcoma, which are bloodborne, remember, those are bloodborne diseases. So we have very high detection with that. And there's another disease, there's another cancer called histiocytic sarcoma, which is also a very deadly uh, bloodborne disease. We have around a 52% detection rate. But we also have capabilities of detecting mast cell tumors, osteosarcoma, malignant melanoma, and soft tissue, soft tissue sarcomas. These are five other very common cancers. So the two that I mentioned, the foma and hemangio, are the two most common, and those other five are also very common. If okay, you take so, them all together. Yes. Yeah. Well, so once, so once that we have to break here, but once detected, 
What next? And I interrupted your thought. We're going to hear the rest of that thought when we come back. I promise when we come back on WGN. No problem. Steve Dale's Pet World on WGN Radio talking with Dr. Tom Butera, CEO of Volition Veterinary, about early cancer detection and the founder of Moose's March. We're going to hear about more about how you can march, maybe around your kitchen. I don't know. But also we will hear... About an event coming up that you can participate in, and it's going to cost you, it's my favorite word of all, free. So that's a good thing, as experts are going to discuss cancer online, a virtual event, and I think we'll find out that if you're, if you're a part of this, you will have an opportunity to ask questions of these experts, such as Dr. Butera. You're telling us about this early cancer detection test, or test plural, uh, when are they going to be available, or are they available now? Yes, the new QVET cancer test is currently available, and it is a low cost, very affordable, and it's very accessible because it's in, as I mentioned, IDEX reference laboratories at HESCA and also at the Texas A&M GI lab with more reference labs coming on board. So just clients, a... can, pet owners can go to their veterinarian and pretty much access this test uh, through any of their veterinarians because most of these veterinarians will use one of those three reference laboratories. Sure. And it's just a simple blood test? Simple blood test. Only takes two to three mils of blood, a half a mil of plasma. And they can combine that. When the animal comes in, remember, we're doing this on wellness animals. So when the animal that comes in, that golden retriever that's four years old, laying in his tail, and we're going to do some other blood work on him, all you got to do is take another couple of mils of blood, which is nothing, and just add that to the other blood sample that you're doing to take other routine chemistries. Uh, then it's easy enough to spin that down and send it off to the to the reference lab. So you mentioned golden retrievers. They seem to be particularly susceptible to hemangiosarcoma, which we talked about earlier. They so are. yeah. So my they question are. my question is this: All right, the test turns positive. You suspect the dog mm-hmm. for hemangio. Then do you X-ray to confirm, or do you do an ultrasound to confirm, or is surgery suggested right there? And surgery, as I understand it, can be a solution to hemangiosarcoma. So uh, go through all that with me. Yeah, let me take you through what the general protocol would be. First of all, our test is a screening test. It is not a diagnostic test. It's a screening test. So the difference being is we are able to detect several different cancers, of which I mentioned earlier, lymphoma and hemangiosarcoma are two of them. But one must think, one must remember that it's a screening test. So if, in fact, 90, probably close to 92% of those well animals that come in are going to come back in the low range or the normal range, probably 6 to 8% are going to come back in the high range, which is in the cancer range. Remember the numbers I gave you earlier 84 million dogs in the United States, 6 million of them develop cancer every year. That's about a 6 to 8% number. So this is meant to be a very positive message for the owner, and it's meant to be a, pe- a message of hope and a message of a peace of mind. So when you, get a pos- when you get a high number come back, the doctor then looks at the patient. Is it a golden retriever? Is it a lab? Is it a, is it a German shepherd? Is it an older dog? If, in fact, it is, and you come back with a higher number, the next indication then, Steve, to your point, is then the doctor will talk with the client about the next series of tests that probably should be done. Additional blood work, potentially x-rays, potentially ultrasound, or even CT scanning. 
Those would be the next things that would be done. And then ultimately, they would hopefully find where the cancer is coming from, and then they would do a biopsy to identify it. So that would be next steps if you get a high number. If you get a high number in a much younger dog, then under those circumstances, again, you look at the dog, you look at the status of health of the dog, you talk to the owner, and then maybe you make a decision that you want to repeat the test again in maybe a month. And let's see if that comes back again positive. Because remember, this is a screening test before you take the owner down a very expensive route of doing a lot of the other diagnostic work. Right. But having said that, for hemangiosarcoma, maybe not other cancers, mm-hmm. you've got these three-year-old labs Correct. that are dying, sadly, shockingly, of, of this disease. So I want to hear more about the webinar that's coming up November 2, November 2nd. Mm-hmm. Trish, we have just a couple minutes here, but please tell me about it. Tell me more. I'm happy to, and thank you so much. And so, first of all, thanks to, to Dr. Butera and Volition Veterinary for their support in this and, and understanding about early detection. And you, Steve. Um, November 2nd, we are having a Let's Talk About Pet Cancer seminar and a webinar. It is going to be via Zoom. It is free of charge, 7 p.m. Eastern Time um, at, at we're going to have experts, uh, and we're going to be talking about pet cancer and all aspects of it. If people want to send questions in advance, if people want to ask questions during that webinar, they'll have the opportunity to ask their questions and to comment. And it's going to be, uh, we feel really groundbreaking to having an open discussion about pet cancer. There have, you know, there's much talk about it, but, but no one really gives the opportunity to have an open discussion about it. And that's the purpose of Mrs. March. Chicago's own Dr. Rayanne Van Pelt will be a part of this, uh, who's also yeah. a, a, an amazing person. She's wonderful yes. and, and quite smart. Yes. And other people that are very, very smart that will be a part of this as well. Yes. But but yes. Uh, the question is, how do people find it? They can go out. They can go to mucismarch.com and they'll find out about everything there. There'll be a, a flyer there. They can click the flyer. They can put in their questions online there and get the questions in advance. They can register for the seminar. Uh, again, it is free of charge, November the second at seven p.m. And Steve, you are going to be moderating this and um, really giving pet parents, everyone, a chance to to openly discuss this and understand more about the importance of early detection and just talking about pet cancer and having an open and beautiful conversation. And as Dr. Butera said, this is about hope and giving them peace of mind and and having an understanding more and and all in the legacy of of, of Moose. Moose T. Montgomery is what he was called. (laughs) (laughs) And listen, if we can somehow save some animal lives by early detection, how can that not be a wonderful thing for the human-animal bond and for, we're talking dogs, uh, for dogs specifically. Uh, You coming out with a cat product soon, Dr. Butera? We are. We're working on cat product right now, and we're hoping to have a peer-reviewed paper in 2024. All right. Well, let me know when that happens. Once again, a a website to go to is Moose's March. I suppose it's M-O-O-S-E-S-M-A-R-C-H dot com uh, to register for the free, that's a good word, (laughs) webinar. Uh, Thank you, Trish Montgomery. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Dr. Butera. Thank you so much for all you do. Thank you, Steve. Thank you so much. Blah, 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 blah. Very scary. Halloween.
Halloween is right around the corner, and we want our pets to be safe. So, first of all, do you go trick-or-treating with the dog in the first place? Uh, the cat? Eh, probably not. Do you take the dog? Well, it depends. It depends. Some dogs are social butterflies, maybe even dressed up as a butterfly in the Halloween outfit. Other dogs tolerate it, and other dogs really don't like it. They don't like the commotion. They don't like being in a costume. They just don't like it. So for that group of dogs, I'd say, no, please, leave your dog at home. Your dog is probably happier at home. For the dogs that tolerate it, eh, that's up to you. For the dogs that enjoy it, love the people, love kids, love noise, love being in a costume, go for it. Concerns I have, and you know many of these things, chocolate would be at the top of the list, right? So you come home with all this stuff, all this candy, and there's chocolate. So keep the dogs away from that. You know that. And also an artificial sweetener called xylitol. So if someone's making brownies and they are low sugar, there's a sugar substitute. It's called xylitol, and that is exceedingly dangerous for dogs. Raisins. Some people give raisins now in the trick-or-treat bed. They are also very dangerous for dogs. Now, how about that dog when the doorbell is ringing and ringing or the cat and you open the door? Lots of dogs and cats actually get lost at Halloween. So be sure not to allow that to happen. But how do you do that? You keep the dog or cat behind a closed door in another part of the house, maybe even tone down their anxiety if they're anxious about things with a nutraceutical nutritional supplement. Uh, it's not a pharmaceutical. It's not a nutritional supplements, kind of a hybrid in between, called Zilkeen, which is hydrolyzed milk protein. Happy Halloween!